Myanmar's only weekly podcast. I'm Oliver Slow. The crisis in Rakhine State has dominated headlines about Myanmar for the past year. While Myanmar's government has said it is ready to begin the process of repatriating the estimated 700,000 people who fled into Bangladesh, many in the international community argue that conditions on the ground are not conducive to returns taking place. Last month, Doatan travelled to northern Rakhine State to speak to local communities, both Muslims and Buddhists, as well as officials to better understand how they feel about potential returns taking place. Here's the full story. We are ordinary citizens. So we, we, want, we wait in our homeland to go back, our, come back our homeland. So we wait in our, go to our homeland, but uh, our government of Myanmar put up there, it's a make safety of This was Rohingya community leader Mohamed Dil speaking to reporters through the Myanmar-Bangladesh border fence in June. Journalists were there as part of a government-sponsored media trip, and as we waited on the Myanmar side of the border, dozens of Rohingya living in refugee camps came to the fence and spoke of their experiences. Weeks prior, two UN agencies had agreed a memorandum of understanding with the Myanmar government regarding the repatriation of the estimated 700,000 Rohingya who fled a brutal military crackdown in Rakhine State last year. The trigger for the military operation were attacks in August by fighters from the Arakan Rohingya Salvation Army, who, according to the government, attacked military and police outposts, killing about a dozen officials. <laughs> Myanmar's international reputation has taken a battering since the crisis began. Governments and UN agencies have said the Rakhine operation amounts to ethnic cleansing, while some of those individuals deemed to have overseen the operation have been hit by sanctions from the United States and the European Union. Myanmar insists that conditions on the ground are conducive to returns taking place, although this is disputed by many in the international community, who cite a lack of security and the lack of guarantees regarding citizenship and freedom of movement for those who return. While June's trip was clearly intended to show the world that Myanmar is ready to receive returnees, in many ways it highlighted how many obstacles need to be overcome before the process can properly begin. The first stop on the trip was the Indian village in southern Mongdor Township. After a ferry ride from Sitwe, the Rakhine State capital, it's about an hour's drive to Indian. The drive passes numerous development projects, including road upgrades and new buildings being put up. And Indian itself is the scene of significant construction. Indian was largely unknown to almost anyone outside Rakhine State until late last year. That changed after two Reuters journalists, Walun and Chosa U, were arrested in Yangon in December, charged with handling official government documents. They remain on trial, and if found guilty, face a potential 14-year jail term. At the time of their arrest, Walon and Chosa'u were investigating the killing of 10 Rohingya men at Indin in September 2017. In the article, which Reuters published in February, military officers aided by Buddhist villagers conducted the gruesome killings. For several months, Myanmar's military had denied any wrongdoing in its Rakhine operation. But weeks after the journalists were arrested, it admitted that some of its personnel were involved in the Indian massacre. The main point of contention in the trial of the journalists is how the duo were arrested. The prosecution argues they found the documents on Walon and Chosa'u during a routine patrol. 
but the reporters have said that they were invited to dinner by the police, where they were handed the documents shortly before being arrested. During their trial in early July, Walone said that police questioning after their arrest had centred on the reporting of the Indian massacre and not on the secret state documents they are accused of obtaining. Since the August and September crackdown in Rakhine State, all of Indian's Muslim residents have fled. Some of the Buddhist Rakhine living in the village told the Watan the relations between the communities had once been strong, but quickly changed after a Rakhine man was killed by Muslims in the nearby mountains in mid-August. If they come back here, we dare not to live here anymore. We are scared. From Indin, we were driven a few hours north to the main town of Mongdor for a meeting with government officials. They told us that they wanted to create an environment in Rakhine State that made the refugees want to return. We were then taken to the Ngakuya Reception Centre, where refugees returning over the Nath River are to be processed. The other processing centre, on the border at Tongpyo Letway, is for refugees who are returning by land. Once processed, the government has said refugees will be housed in a temporary centre at La Polkang. At Ngakuya, officials from the Ministry of Labour, Immigration and Population said that 154 returnees have been processed there in May and June. Ute Mong, an official in charge at Ngakuya, said 16 of the returnees were children and the remaining 138 have been issued with national verification cards. However, it was not clear where the 138 people were or if they had applied for citizenship. Reporters were also introduced to nine Muslim men in a waiting room at the camp. Officials said the group had recently returned to Myanmar from Bangladesh and had been granted NVCs. However, it was here the government's narrative quickly unraveled. Some of the men told reporters they had never been to Bangladesh and had been arrested inside Myanmar for immigration offences. No officials were able to clarify the confusion. A short walk through the Ngakuya facility also highlighted a major challenge to the repatriation process taking place, the complete lack of returnees. Rooms designated for processing MVC applications had the latest biometric equipment, but were otherwise empty, except for bored-looking staff sitting around with nothing to do. The final day of the trip involved driving several hours north from Mongdor to Tampia Letwe, the centre built to process refugees who returned from Bangladesh by land. It's a scenic drive through Northern Rakhine's hilly and picturesque countryside, but it also revealed perhaps the biggest challenge the repatriation process taking place. Almost all of the Muslim villages here have been burned to the ground. Throughout the journey, we observed the charred remains of villages on both sides of the road. In some could be seen the remains of what had once been mosques. At one of the villages, we ordered our drivers to stop so we could explore a little further, something our government guides weren't too happy about. So we've just made an unscheduled stop um, at a village. It's, it's clearly been burnt to the ground. There's sort of... Um, the remains of houses lying around, everything's kind of been discarded. There's, there's a, a suitcase lying on the ground and a few other kind of remnants of the people were clearly left in a hurry. Um, and I guess, I don't know what happened here, I don't know what this village is, but I think you could make the assumption that people, when the people fled, they fled in the direction perhaps. There's a river just to the west of the village and I'm just walking over now. Um, looks like this was also part of the village. And if you go just to the other side of it, there's a small little ridge. And then from there you go over to, um, there's a, it looks like a river. Um, it's difficult at this point to see exactly where it goes, but you can imagine it's, it, it's when you see this, it's the fear that these villages must have gone through when either, either soldiers came to the village or they left because they'd heard about soldiers burning down other villages. And you can see now 
just to the left, to the west, sorry. It looks like it could be in Bangladesh, and I imagine this was sort of the direction that many of these people fled in out of fear for their lives, and their children, wives, children, husbands fleeing from this brutal military crackdown that we heard about in this direction. And I think many of them are now just over the over that hill in the relative safety of Bangladesh. Um, the government has said they can return, um, and they, at this point it doesn't look like it's going to because. You know, where the hell are they going to stay if the, if the villages are no longer here? After a quick stop at Selmpioletway, which is empty of returnees, reporters were taken to a nearby border fence to speak with the Rohingya living in an area known as No Man's Land. It was here that perhaps two or three dozen Rohingya, mainly men but also some women and children, came to the fence to speak to the reporters. It's a little unusual to be standing here. It feels a little unusual. Um, because I can actually see on the other side of the fence exactly where I was standing back in September when we were investigating what was happening on that side of the border. Um, on that side of the border we were told um, that Mima Army had come and laid landmines in this area where we're standing now and um, we've been sent videos of a woman who'd lost her legs and, and, and a few other people being injured. So it's a little bit surreal, a little bit um, unusual to be standing here um, on this side of the border. And seeing where we stood a year ago, not, not being able to get there because of this huge fence. Of course, for me, it doesn't really matter. I can, I can move freely, but for these people here uh, who have done nothing wrong, they've been born um, as Rohingya, as Muslim in Myanmar, and now they can't leave this tiny plot of land, uh, which is, I don't know, big, no bigger than a couple of football fields. And there's looking right now at a kid who's, I don't know, two, three years old. Um, it could. It seems likely that he could spend his entire life in this place, relying on handouts from UN agencies and unable to leave and not knowing a life outside this small land. And that's really quite tragic. Speaking through the fence, Rohingya refugees said that they would only return if they could be guaranteed citizenship and the same rights as all other communities in Rakhine. You have no intention to go to um, Bangladesh. This is, uh, this is, this is a normal land of our Myanmar land. We wait in, we come. Here for the safe of our life, from escape from the escape in Myanmar military crackdown. Now we are waiting to go back. It is depend on the international community. They are human. We are human. Every human live and help each other. Have to help each other. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Dewatan. This edition was produced by Zani, Su Myatmon, and Oliver Slow. You can read related news and other interesting articles via Frontier Myanmar's website and Facebook pages, and you can share your thoughts on these pages. Please stay tuned for next Wednesday's episode and visit the Doha Town Facebook page. The project to support human rights reporting is a partnership between Frontier Myanmar and Fondation Yonlel, funded by the Embassy of the Netherlands in Myanmar. Thank you for staying with us. Have a nice day.